0: And uh, another thing I noticed, it looked like they were doing swimming lessons after the fact. They should have learned before they went to Honduras. Well, it's good to be with you here this morning. And we're looking at the um, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And uh, the Beatitude we're looking at today is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I went to my concordances, and I began to look up scriptures that had heart and pure in them. And many of the scriptures had the same thing, pure heart. They had them coupled together. But let me just share a couple of verses with you. Psalms 24 3-5 through five says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has cleansed clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then in Psalms 119 it says this, how can a young man or young woman keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. And then David said as in his confessional prayer in, in Psalms 51 he said create in me A clean heart, O God. A clean heart, O God. It is the heart that things come from. And Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and uh, Jesus called these religious dinosaurs, I would call them. In his conversation with them, he called them vipers. Do you know what that is? That's snakes. Uh, he wasn't too flattering of these religious at, uh, aristocrats, dinosaurs, and he said to them, From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, we could look all day long at the heart. Well, Jeremiah said that the heart was deceitful and wicked. But many years ago, I came across a booklet. And I've shared hundreds of these with people. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. I wish I had one left. But if you'll bear with me, I want us to look at our heart as Christ's home. And we're going to show you uh, the first, and we're going to show you your home. Look uh, up here, Uh one more. There it is. There's your heart. Okay? Now, it's not a big one. It's not a big heart. That That's your home. Now, that's Christ's home. Now, the only way that Christ can be at home in your heart is if you have repented of your sins and received Christ as your personal Savior. He cannot reside in a home that a door has not been opened. What Jesus said in uh revelation 3 16 he said behold i stand uh, revelation 320 i'm sorry Uh, behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone opens the door i will come in and dwell with him dine with him i will be with him i will live in him the bible talks about when christ comes into our life he comes into our heart the holy spirit dwells there we're born again we're a new creation And unless you've turned from your old ways and accepted the free gift of eternal life, Christ is not in your heart. But those of you that have done this, we're going to look into your home. We're going to look into your heart. And the first room we're going to is the study. We'll look together at the study, the library. Let us call the study... The study of the mind. Now, in my home, this room of mind is a small room with thick walls, but it is an important room. In a sense, it is the control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at the books on the bookcase, the magazines on the table, the pictures on the walls. As I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely enough, I had not felt bad about this room before. But now he was there with me looking at these things. I was embarrassed. There were some books on the shelves that his eyes were too pure to look at. Some books like these. I'm not going to show you the covers. They shouldn't be there. I was very uncomfortable as he looked over these books. As far as the pictures on the walls, the images and thoughts of my mind, some of these were shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and said, Master, I know this room really needs to be cleaned up and made over. Will you help me shape it up and change it to the way it ought to be? Certainly, he replied. I'm glad to help you. I've come to handle things like this. First of all, take all the materials you are reading, and viewing which are not good, not true, not pure, not helpful, and throw them out. Now put on the empty shelves the books of the Bible. Fill the library with the scriptures and meditate on them day and night. And as for the pictures on the walls, you will have difficulty controlling those images, but I have something that will help. He gave me a full-size portrait of himself. Hang this centrally. He said, on the wall of your mind. I did, and I've discovered through the years that when my thoughts are centered on Christ, the awareness of his presence, purity, and power, impure thoughts go away. So he has helped me to bring my thoughts under his control, but the struggle remains. If you have difficulty with this little room of mine. Let me encourage you to bring it to Christ. Pack it full with the Word of God. Study it, meditate on it, and keep it clearly before your presence in the Lord Jesus Christ. From the study, we went to the dining room. How many of you like the dining room? Most of you do. Most of you do. This is the room of appetites and desires. Now, this was a large room, a most important place for me. I spent a lot of time and hard work trying to satisfy my wants. I told him, this is my favorite room. I'm sure you will be pleased with what we serve here. He seated himself at the table. What is on the menu today? Well, I said, my favorite dishes, money, academic degrees, stocks, with newspaper articles of fame and fortune as side dishes. These are the things I like. Thoroughly secular fare. There was nothing so very bad in any of them, but it was not really the kind of food which would feed my soul and satisfy, satisfy my true spiritual hunger. When the plates were placed before my new friend, he said nothing. However, I observed that he did not eat. I asked, somewhat disturbed, Savior, don't you like this food? What is the trouble? He answered, I have food to eat you do not know of. My food is to do the will of him that sent me. He looked at me again and said, If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of your heavenly Father. Put his pleasures before your own. Stop striving for your own desires, your own ambitions, your own satisfactions. Seek to please him. That food will really satisfy you. Try a bit of it. And there about the table he gave me a taste of doing God's will. What flavor? There is no food like it in all the world. It alone satisfies. At the end, everything else leaves you hungry. What's the menu on your dining table? What kind of food are you serving our divine companion and serving yourself? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, our self-centered wants. Are you finding satisfaction in them? Or are we finding God's will to be so satisfying? meat and drink. And then, he moved to the living room. Let's move to the living room over here. This was a quiet and comfortable place with a warm atmosphere. I liked it. It had a fireplace in it, a sofa, an overstuffed chair, a bookcase, and a very intimate atmosphere. He also seemed pleased with it. He said, indeed, this is a delightful room. Let's come here often. It's secluded and quiet, and we can have good talks and fellowship together. Well, naturally, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than have a few minutes alone with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I will be here every morning early. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would go downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the bookcase, open it, and we would read it together. He would unfold to me the wonders of God's saving truth, recorded on the pages, and make my heart sing as he shared all he had done for me and would be to me. Those times together were wonderful. Through the Bible and his Holy Spirit, he would talk to me. In prayer, I would respond. So our friendship deepened in those quiet times of personal conversation. However, under the pressure of many responsibilities, little by little, this time began to be shortened. Why? I'm not sure. Somehow I assumed I was just too busy to give special, regular time to be with Christ. This was not a deliberate decision, you understand. It seemed to happen that way. Eventually, not only was the period shortened, but I began to miss days now and then, such as during midterms or finals. Matters of urgency demanding my detention were continually crowding out The quiet times of conversation with Jesus. Often I would miss it two days in a row or more. One morning I recall rushing down the steps in a hurry to be on my way to an important meeting. As I passed the living room, the door was open. Glancing in, I saw a fire in the fireplace and Jesus sitting there. Suddenly, In dismay, it came to me. He's my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come as my Savior and friend to live with me. Yet here I am neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With downcast glance, I said, Master, I'm sorry. Have you been here every morning? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here to meet you. I was even more ashamed. He had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked him to forgive me, and he did. As he always does when we acknowledge our failures and want to do the right thing. He said, the trouble is that you have been thinking of the quiet time." of Bible study and prayer as a mean for your own spiritual growth. This is true. I have redeemed you. I value your fellowship. Just to have you look up into my face warms my heart. Don't neglect it, sour, if only for my sake. Whether or not you want to be with me, remember, I want to be with you. I really love you. You know, the truth that Christ wants my fellowship, that he loves me, wants me to be with him, and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart, but every day find a time and place when the Word of God and in prayer you may be together with Him. Before long, he asked, do you have a workroom in your house? He says, it's out in the garage. Well, I don't have three cars, but it's out in the garage of the home of my heart. I had a workbench out there and some equipment. You know, you always have to have duct tape. You have to duct tape and super glue. That's what you need to work with. Out in the garage of the home of my heart, I had wonderful. Uh, I had a workbench and some equipment, but I was not doing much with it. Once in a while, I would play around at making a few little gadgets but I wasn't producing anything substantial. I took him out there. He looked over the workbench and the few talents and skills I had. He said, this is fairly well furnished. What are you producing with your life for the kingdom of God? He looked at one or two of the little toys that had I thrown together on the bench and he held one up. This is the sort of thing that you're doing for others in your Christian life? I felt terrible. Lord, that's the best I can do. I know it isn't much, I'm ashamed to say, but with my awkwardness and limited ability, I don't think I'll ever do much more. Would you like to do better, he said? You know I would, I replied. Well, first remember what I taught you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Come, relax with me and let my spirit work through you. I know you're unskilled and clumsy and awkward, but the Spirit is the master worker. If he controls your heart and your hands, he will work through you. Now turn around, and putting his great strong arms around me and his hands under mine, he picked up the tools and began to work through me. Relax, you're still too tense. Let go, let me do the work. It amazes me what his skilled hands can do through mine if I only trust him and let him have his way. I am very far from satisfied with the product that's being turned out. I still get it get in the way at times. There's much more I need to learn. But I do know that whatever has been produced for God has been through him and through the power of his spirit. Don't be discouraged because you cannot do much for God. It's not your ability, but your availability that's important. Give what you are to Christ. Be sensitive and responsive to what he wants you to do. And trust him. He will surprise you with what he can do through you. The rec room. The rec room. I remember the time he inquired about the rec room where I spent, where I went for fun and fellowship. I was hoping he would not ask me about that. There were certain associations and activities I wanted to keep for myself. I did not think Jesus would enjoy or approve of them. I evaded the question. However, one evening when I was on my way out with some of my buddies for a night on the town, he was at the door and stopped me with a glance. Are you going out? I answered, Yes. Good. I'll go with you. Oh, I replied awkwardly. I don't think, Lord, that you would really enjoy where we're going. Let's get together some other time. Tomorrow night we can go to a Bible class or a social at the church. But tonight I have another engagement. As you wish, was his comment, only I thought when I came into your home, we were going to do everything together. Be close companions. Just know that I'm willing to go with you. Well, I said, we'll go someplace together tomorrow night. That evening, I spent some miserable hours. I felt rotten. What kind of friend was I to Jesus? Jesus deliberately leaving him out of part of my life, doing things and going places that I knew very well he would not enjoy. When I returned that evening, there was a light on in his room, and I went up and talked it over with him. I acknowledge, Lord, I have learned my lesson. I know I can't have a good time if you're not alone. From now on, we'll do everything together. Then we went together into the rec room, He transformed it. He brought new friendships, new relationships, new excitement, new joys. Laughter and music had been ringing in the house ever since. With a twinkle in his eye, he smiled. You thought that with me around, you wouldn't have much fun, didn't you? Remember, I've come that that my joy will be in you and that your joy may be full. The bedroom. One day, when we were in my bedroom, he asked me about the picture next to my bed. That's the picture of my girlfriend, I told him. Though I knew my relationship with my girlfriend was a good one, I felt funny talking to him about it. She and I were struggling with some issues and I didn't want to discuss them with him. I tried to change the subject. But Jesus must have known what I was thinking. You're beginning to question my teaching on sex, aren't you? That intercourse is only for those who are joined in the covenant of marriage. You're feeling I may be asking something unnatural, if not impossible, for you. You're afraid my will on this will limit the full enjoyment of life and love. Isn't that true? Yes, I confess then listen carefully to what I am to say. I forbid adultery and premarital sex not because sex is bad, because it is good. Beyond the physical ecstasy, it is a means of bonding two lives and deepening love. It has the creative power to bring human life into being. Sex is powerful. Use properly. Sex has tremendous potential for good. Used improperly, it destroys the good. For this reason, God intends it to be expressed only in the commitment of a loving, lifelong partnership. There is far more to love than just sex. Let me help you in your relationship with the opposite sex. If you could fail, if you should fail and feel shame and guilt, know I still love you and will remain with you. Talk to me about it. Acknowledge the wrong. Take steps to avoid it happening again. Rely on my strength to keep you from failing and from falling and to lead you into a relationship of love and marriage where two truly become one. There's one more matter of crucial consequence I'd like to share with you. One day I found him waiting for me in the front door, at the front door. An arresting look was in his eyes. As I entered, he said, There's a peculiar odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said that, I knew what he was talking about. Indeed, there was a small closet up there on the hall landing, just a few feet square. In that closet, behind locked and key, I had one or two personal things I did not want anybody to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. They were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. Not wicked, but not right and good to have in a Christian life. Yet I loved them. I wanted them so much for myself, I was really afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went upstairs with him. And as he mounted the door, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door and said, it's in there. It's in there. Something's dead in there. It made me angry. That's the only way I could put it. I'd given him access to the study, to the dining room, to the living room, to the work room, the rec room, the bedroom, and now he was asking me to give him access to a little two by four closet. I said to myself, This is too much. I'm not going to give you the key. Well, he responded, reading my thoughts. If you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you are mistaken. I will take my bed out on the back porch and somewhere else. I'm certainly not going to stay around that. And I saw him start down the stairs. When you have to come to know and love Jesus Christ, one of the worst things that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his face and fellowship. I had to give in. I'll give you the key, I said, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key. Just authorize me to handle that closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key over to him, and he took it from my hand and walked over to the door and opened it and entered it and took out the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it all the way. Then he cleansed the closet, painted it, fixed it up, all in a moment's time. Immediately, a fresh, fragrant breeze swept through the house. The whole atmosphere changed. What release and victory to have that dead thing out of my life. No matter what sin or what pain there might be in my past, Jesus is ready to forgive, to heal, and to make it whole. And the thought came to me. I said to myself, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clean and available for Christ, but it's hard work. I start on one room, and no sooner have I cleaned it than I discover another room is dirty. I began on the second room, and the first one is already dusty again. I'm getting tired of trying to maintain a clean heart and an obedient life. I'm just not up to it. Suddenly I asked, Lord, is there a possibility you would be willing to manage the whole house and operate it for me just as you did the closet? Could I give to you the responsibility of keeping my heart what it ought to be and myself doing what I ought to be doing? I could see his face light up. He replied, I'd love to. This is exactly what I came to do. You can't live out the Christian life in your own strength. That is impossible. Let me do it for you and through you. That's the only way it can really work. But, he added slowly, I'm not the owner of the house. Remember, I'm here as your guest. I have no authority to take charge since the property is not mine. In a flash, it all came clear. Excitedly, I exclaimed, Lord, you have been my guest and I have been trying to play the host. From now on, you're going to be the owner and the master of the house. I'm going to be the servant. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house describing the assets and the liabilities, its condition, location, and situation. Then rushing back to him, I eagerly signed it over giving him the title alone for time and eternity. Dropping to my knees, I presented it to him. Here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now you run the house. Just let me stay with you as houseboy and friend. He took my life that day, and I can give you my word. There's no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it and use it. A deep peace settled down on my soul that has remained. I am his and he is mine. May Christ settle down and be at home as Lord of your heart. As we went through the house today, as we went through this house, is there any room, any place in your heart that Christ has not taken over? Do you have one of those stinking closets, one of those secret sins, one of those, or some activity that you don't want Christ to be involved in? Or will you turn your life, your heart your way completely over to Jesus Christ. We call that the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I know many of you in here have opened your hearts up to Christ. And He dwells in your home, but I want to know, is He the owner of you? Are you still the owner? Are you still trying to run your life? I had a friend of mine one time witnessing to someone, and they said, um, I don't believe in God. I don't believe him. And my friend said, well, how's that working out? The person he was witnessing to said, uh, well, I'm not doing very good. So you don't believe in God and you're not doing very good. So what is the alternative or the other option? He's saying going with God and letting him handle your life. And he said, my friend said, that that day she turned her life over to Jesus Christ. Total transformation. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Transform it. Turn it into a life worth living. A life worth sharing. A life full of joy. A life full of abundance. And you can have that. You can have that. When I was very young, I realized that I needed a Savior. One day in my own home, I said, Jesus, in my simplicity and in my Just as a child said, Jesus, come into my life. I remember that day as clear as if it was yesterday. He came into my life. And when my dad came in from work, I told him, said, Dad, I invited Jesus into my life. I told my mama, Mama, I invited Jesus into my life. That Sunday, I was just a little tight. I wasn't very big. My dad walked down with me, down the aisle. I took the hand of the preacher. Brother Clement, our pastor, said, what can I do for you, Lynn? And I so said, I gave my heart to Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus. I said, welcome into the family of God. And a few weeks later, he baptized me. Remember that. See, you can have the same thing. We're going to have an invitation. The invitation is designed for you to publicly confess your faith in Christ, to make a decision whatever God is leading you to. The Bible says that the Spirit draws people unto Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, I encourage you to come. I'll be standing down here. And if you have a prayer request, if you have other needs other than salvation, we we'll would be glad to pray with you, to encourage you. But I want to ask us all now to stand as we have this hymn of invitation, just as I come, just as I am, without one plea, come, if God is speaking to you today, I encourage you to come, come and meet the Savior.